The scripture reading today will be from Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Philippians 1, 3 through 11. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, even as it is met for you to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in, in the def defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you in all the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of, G of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. The Apostle Paul wrote about half of the New Testament books that we have in our possession. He signed his name to 13 of those, and I believe he was the author of the letter to the Hebrew Christians as well. And as we look at those letters, we come to find out in many of them there are uh, sections of uh, rebuke and correction which targets sin and encourages those folks to do better such as 1 Corinthians or both Corinthian letters, really, and, and the letter to the Galatian brethren. Though all of his letters uh, had within them words of love and encouragement, the letter written to the church at Philippi is very different. It is simply a letter that demonstrates his great love toward them, words of praise and affection. And within that letter... We begin to see the partnership faithful Christians have uh, and that they did have with the world's greatest evangelist apart from Christ himself. We see a church who stood with Paul in prayer, one who stood with him in fellowship and financial support. They were the best of benefactors to the Apostle Paul when other congregations failed to assist him in those very needed areas. And he never forgot their ministry or their love towards him. As Paul began his letter, he used a word in verse 5 explaining exactly how that partnership came about and why he was so thankful for the congregation at Philippi. Let's go back and listen again to his statement. He said, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. You see, he was thankful for their partnership. It was so great because of the wonderful fellowship they shared. That's really what we want to talk about this morning, the idea of fellowship. And of course, I'm going to use the 
the recent holiday to frame my title. The title of the sermon this morning is, For What Are We Thankful? Now this isn't a Thanksgiving sermon, but I wanted to use it for the title. If we're going to be able to understand the, the concept of fellowship between Christians, we need to understand what it truly is. Fellowship goes beyond what we normally think of fellowship. It is in actuality a partnership between those of like precious faith, 2 Peter 1.1. 1, 1. That's exactly what it is. When we think of a fellowship, let's, let's turn our minds to the idea that it is actually what we intend is it is a partnership. A partnership. Now, let's go back to the question in the title of the sermon, for what are we thankful? One of the things I know that we're thankful for is the fellowship that we enjoy. Christian fellowship, if we're going to understand it, we have to begin with understanding that it has a common origin. That's our first point. It has a common origin. Our origin is the result of being engaged to Christ. Now that sounds odd at first, doesn't it? But when we look in Matthew 25, 1 through 13, and we begin to read the parable of the ten virgins, those ten ladies were waiting for the return of the bridegroom. Uh, in the Jewish culture, to be engaged to a person was to be legally bound to the future spouse. If one wanted to break that engagement, they had to get a legal divorce. So if they became engaged, they were connected and they were together, and they would become one unless there was a legal divorce. It's just like when Joseph thought to put Mary away, when he found out that she was pregnant and he didn't understand the circumstances, he was going to put her away privately, he was going to divorce her. Well, they weren't married. Yes, they weren't married, but he was described as her husband in Matthew 1.19. Because legally, he was bound to her. So when we think of the idea of being engaged, someone says, well, Paul uses the example of Christ's uh, relationship to the church in Ephesians 5 like husband and wife. Exactly. He does. But, are we married to Christ yet? Let's think about that. When Christ returns, we, the church will be presented as a bride to him being perfect, without blemish. But we can say we're married to him because Joseph was Mary's husband. But we're engaged to him right now. The church is engaged. And when he comes again, that will be the marriage. That's what the, the ten virgins were waiting on. They were waiting on the marriage to happen. And then following that, the marriage feast. We're engaged to Christ and we're waiting on the feast. That's the common origin, and our origin is based on the fact of our giving ourselves to Christ. See, this has to be a mutual agreement. Not in how we give ourselves to Him, but just the fact that we do give ourselves to Him. We're to be faithful to Him and to Him alone. That's the origin, right? That's how it all begins. That's how the partnership started with Paul and the Christians at Philippi. Paul, what he was doing was writing to a very select group of folks in Philippi. He wasn't writing to 
Everyone in Philippi, everyone in Philippi didn't have the, the common origin that Paul and those people had at the church, but the Christians did. Now, to be engaged to Christ means we must enter into Christ. See, we think of engagement in the sense of our culture, right? So it would not match up if we were using what our culture considers engagement. But we're talking about the Jewish culture. That's what Christ taught. That's what Paul taught. That's what Peter taught. They lived under that Jewish religion. And so if we're going to enter into an engagement, that that means we are obligated to one another. But here's what Satan has convinced most of the world. He says all you have to do is to respond to Christ in an emotional way. All you have to do is to be sorry for your sin. Now, that's necessary. All you have to do is to decide to stop living in sin. That's necessary. We call it repentance. But then he says it ends there. The Bible tells a different story, doesn't it? The Bible tells a very different story. We read about belief, Hebrews eleven six. Absolutely. We don't disagree on that. We read about godly sorrow, 2 Corinthians 17. That's being sorry for sin. That leads us to repentance, right? Acts uh, uh, 2.38. Then we believe in, in the confession of our belief in Christ being the Son of God being made. Absolutely. I don't know anyone who claims to be a follower of Christ who would disagree with that, Romans 10, 9 and 10. But then it stops there. They leave out the final step to enter into Christ. Now, if we want to be engaged to Him, we want to be legally bound to Him, and that's the example, we have to follow all the steps. That's what they had to do in the, in the Jewish culture. There were certain protocol they had to follow if they were going to become engaged, and then that legally bound them. We have to be baptized so our sins can be washed away, Acts twenty two sixteen. I don't know why that's such a bone of contention. Now remember, Paul asked a question. He asked the question about what relationship light has with darkness or sin with salvation, right? He's well known for that. Can darkness be a part of light? Can light be a part of darkness? Can sin be a part of God? Can God be a part of sin? Can those who claim to be a part of God be uh, involved in sin? Not if we enter into Christ. Not if we're engaged to Him and bound to Him and we wait for His return so we can be a part of that wedding feast. We can't be a part of that. So our sins must be removed. Mark 16, 16. Then one goes from fellowship with Satan to fellowship with God and His faithful. That's the good news, isn't it? That's the good news. And that's the common origin that we enjoy as partners with others of like precious faith. Why? Because we're engaged to Christ. Because we entered into Christ. We're thankful for the fellowship that we enjoy with each other. When we consider one another, we're thankful for this fellowship. But I want us to think of it in the, in the way that it truly is. That doesn't mean we do not have interaction with each other. That doesn't mean that, that we, we don't have meals together. We can't share a cup of coffee 
that we can't just simply spend time together, but it is so much more than that. We need to consider the whole concept of what fellowship is. It is a partnership, and because of that partnership, we can go back and we can see a common origin, and then we can see a common obligation. That's our second point. I want us to notice a couple uh, manifestations of that obligation. First of all, we have an obligation of prayer. We are obligated to pray for one another. Why? Because it's important. God's asked us to do it. We need it in our lives. Notice Paul. Though he was in prison, he still loved and was concerned for these folks in Philippi. Philippians 1 verse 7. He prayed for their continued faithfulness. Verse 4. He prayed for their welfare each time he prayed. Can you imagine that? I'm just curious. When I, when I study Paul and... And I get on the topic of prayer, and every single prayer he prayed, he mentioned these folks in Philippi. He didn't forget about them when he was dealing with Corinth, when he was preaching at Corinth. He didn't forget about them when he was the preacher in Ephesus. He didn't forget about them when he was writing letters to Timothy and Titus and and Philemon. He didn't forget about them when he was writing letters to Rome, and he was wanting to go to Rome, and he talked about that, and he was consumed with the fire to go to visit those folks in Rome, to impart gifts to them. He wanted to help them, but he didn't forget about those in Philippi. And you know what that tells me? When he was concerned with those in Philippi, and he was praying for them, he didn't forget about those in Corinth, he didn't forget about those in Rome, he considered Timothy and Titus and Philemon, Have you ever gone to sleep at night praying? That's what I think of when I think of Paul. Paul was faithful in his prayers for each other because it's an obligation that we ought to want to be tied to. We need to pray for each other. We need to pray for continued faithfulness, continued health. We need to pray for happiness. We need to pray for all of these things. And Paul thought about these folks. And it was a fellowship. It was a partnership, right? Our fellowship should bring each of us together to the throne of God. We ought to love one another in that way. We ought to lift up the names of our brethren at all times. We ought to uh, approach God. Do we, do we, when our brethren are hurting, James five fourteen? let's pray for our brethren when they're hurting, when they need help. They can't be with us or they're sick or terrible things are happening. What about are we thankful when our brethren have joy in life? Romans 12, 15. Is there a greater way to participate in someone's joy than to thank God for that joy in prayer? I don't think there's a greater way to uh, 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 be a part of someone's joy than to pray to God. Our fellowship of obligation ought to allow us to think wonderful things about our brethren. Because we do that, we pray to God for the blessings of life for each other and eternity for each other, 1 Timothy 2.1. Our fellowship unites us into one obligation of prayer and it also unites us into the obligation of partnership. We've talked about partnership. 
Let's talk some more about it because it's very important when we think of the idea of fellowship that what we really think about is partnership. Paul thanked the church in Philippi for assisting him in carrying out the gospel. When we think of a partnership, is there there a part of that partnership that is less important than the other? Two people go into business with each other. Is, is one of them more important than the other? If, if it's a good business, I'm not talking about making a mistake and partnering with someone maybe you shouldn't have. I'm talking about a, a, a business you go into. What about this? We talked about marriage and how we're engaged to Christ. What about the marriage partnership? Is one more important or less important than the other? Well, of course it's not. Of course it's not. That's what makes it a wonderful fellowship. Both are equally important and both have equal obligations to that partnership. These folks stood with Paul when he was in need, Philippians 4, uh, verse 15 through 19. They were his greatest partners in reaching the lost. They were his greatest comforters when he suffered. Our partnership goes beyond simply coming together and worshiping and eating and enjoying the love we have for each other. That is important. We've got to have that. And that's one of the great benefits of our partnership. But it is more than that. Right? It's more than that. We have to appreciate the efforts of all Christians who fulfill the great commandment to go into all the world and fulfill the commission that God has given to us. We ought to appreciate them for that. We ought to be a part of that because we have to be if the partnership is going to be successful. And it's our obligation to assist others in doing that. We are one of the greatest examples here at White Oak of doing that. <coughs> Excuse me. We assist folks all around the world and we're partners with them. Think about it. Think about it. We're partners with, with Brother Randy English as he goes into the South Pacific and he works with those folks. We're partners with, with uh, uh, Brother Hatcher as he goes and works in Indonesia. We're partners over in Hungary when, uh, as uh, Brother Montague goes over there and works with those folks. We're partners. We're a big part of that effort. Isn't that something to consider? But we can't forget what we're doing here at home either. Now, things are different now. Things have changed. We have to, and we have to change with it. And when I mean change, I mean our technique. What do we do to reach out? We're not going door to door anymore. I'm afraid maybe that's, that's a thing of the past. Okay? Uh, maybe we, but we need to try to figure something else out because we're obligated to help each other. Now, we may have to do something else. We may have to consider some kind of a radio program or, or uh, something, I don't know what we're considering, but we need to consider some other things, right? But we read about those kinds of partnerships throughout the book of Acts. Peter and John, Paul and Silas, Paul and Barnabas, the list continues. And we have great partnerships in today's world. You see, those partners labor together to fulfill the work of the church. You know how important that is? There's nothing more important than that. Working together for a common goal, and it's an obligation all Christians must meet. You know, when we read this this letter to the Philippians, isn't it easy to see the desire in Paul to want to be with those brethren? To want to worship with those brethren? 
to want to work beside those brethren, to want to thank them for all that they did for him. And I'm sure they wanted to thank him for all he did for them as well. We can see it. We can see it. Our partnership is strengthened also when we spend time together in fellowship that we consider when we think of fellowship, right? The, the, the meals we enjoy. I've been missing that. I've been missing that. Coming together and having a meal, being able to sit with each other and have fun. Have you been, you know, what about our game nights that we have? Oh, I miss those. You know, just when I was getting on a roll and winning, winning at cards, this happens. You know, I miss all of that. That's very important. But, brethren, that's just part of it, right? Whether it's the fellowship of origin, the fellowship of obligation, or whether it's the fellowship of occupation, they were involved in a common work. That's our third and final point. Paul prayed that they would have the proper traits about them to be successful in their common occupation. Now, here's one of those traits we want to consider for just a moment. He wanted them to have the trait of compassion. We have to be partners in that. We have to have compassion for each other and for the world. He wanted their love to grow. If it is not growing, it is dying. Tell me anything in the world that uh, is uh, a, a living thing that's, if it's not growing, it's dying. You plant a garden, if it's not growing, what's happening? You know, a, a, a plant reaches its pinnacle. It's not going to get any bigger. And at that point, it begins to die, right? What happens when a person reaches full maturity? Really, the dying process has begun because you're not getting better and bigger and stronger. Now, it may take many, many years, and we hope it does. But it is still the process of you reached a pinnacle physically, and now you begin to decline. Same thing with animals. You, ra- you raise animals, right? Cows, goats, whatever it is, they, they get to a point and they begin to decline. You know, have you ever noticed a farmer uh, doesn't keep, a, keep an old cow around until they die of natural causes normally, Right? They, they, they get what they can get out of them because that's the whole idea of farming and making money. You sell the calves. You sell the milk. When uh, something gets to the point that it's not going to be producing very much, if you're talking about cattle, it becomes hamburger. Right? You've got to get something out of it before it declines to the point where it's useless. And so we have to grow our love. Our love has to be the same way. Now, here's the thing about being a Christian. We never stop growing in our Christian lives. That's a good thing because we're eternal. There's an eternal part of us. And as we live in this physical world, our love needs to grow. Our Christianity needs to grow. When he was asked what the greatest commandment was, Jesus made this reply. Matthew 23, beginning with verse 37. He said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Then he says, And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbors thyself. On these two commandments hang the law and the prophets. That's an origin, isn't it? 
That's a foundation. Without that, you don't have any of it. And Paul defined exactly for us what love is and how it behaves, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, didn't he? We're familiar with that passage. But to properly show compassion in love, one has to understand about love. We have to do our best to understand. Paul said love had to be according to knowledge in our passage. Knowledge and in all judgment, verse 9. You recall what David asked God, Psalm 119, 66. He said, teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe your commandments. You see, Paul had the fellowship of a common occupation. That is our way of life. That, that's what we ought to be concerned with first and foremost, our spiritual health. Do we forget our physical obligations in this life to work and rear our families and make sure our children are fed and, and to give them a good start in life and help take care of others? No, that stuff is absolutely necessary and important. But our main concern is our occupation, our walk in life. And that's to be faithful to God. To properly show compassion, we have to understand what love is. It's got to be growing. It's always got to be progressing. And Paul had the fellowship of this common occupation. Here's another manifestation of that occupation. Conviction. He had conviction. The brethren at Philippi had conviction. Paul wanted them to approve things that are excellent. Verse 10 of our passage. We talked this morning about Paul telling the Thessalonians to prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. He's teaching the same message everywhere he goes. He made that statement. He teaches the same gospel in every church. He's talking about every congregation of the church. They were to test the things they heard. They weren't to take someone's word for it. When uh, we read about the Bereans, Acts 17, 11, they searched the Scripture. Paul was their preacher. He wanted them to look into the Scripture. Know it for yourself, right? Own your own faith. You can't operate on the faith of someone else. John demanded this, John uh, 4, verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false Prophets are gone out into the world. Paul wanted their common fellowship of occupation to have compassion and conviction. And he also wanted them to be complete. He wanted them to be complete. His final thought in our passage was for them to be filled with the fruits of righteousness. If we're not producing the fruits that come along with righteousness, we're not righteous. It just can't be. Someone says, well... I'm not able to do anything. My health is so bad, I just have to sit at home. I was just visiting with Sister Barbara Northcutt, and uh, she says, you know, I'm trying my best to send out cards, but I'm having a hard time getting cards. But she's getting them, and she's sending them, but she likes to pick out her own cards. (laughs) But you know what? She's still producing fruits of righteousness because she's sending a card. She's making phone calls. She's encouraging folks. And that's what I told her. I said, you encourage folks. You encourage folks. Brother Joe made the statement in class one night. 
He said, you know, I'm 94, but I think God's got some stuff in store for me. He's got some stuff in store for all of us, doesn't he? So we've got to keep on going. Brother Joe is an encouragement, 94 and still going strong. I miss him. It's just not the same. Sister Ruth's sitting back there. We need her here. Sister June, we need her. I can't wait till this stuff is over because they're an encouragement to us. You see, and that's what Paul wanted. He wanted them to be complete and, and produce fruits of righteousness so we can be righteous. And we have to desire to bring forth that fruit to honor God and to bring glory to Him. And if we exercise fellowship with each other, now think, remember, fellowship is partnership then that'll happen. That'll happen. When that happens, we're successful in our fellowship of occupation. The congregation of the Lord's people in Philippi was a great congregation. There's no doubt about it. They were phenomenal. They were great because they shared the fellowship of origin, the fellowship of obligation, and the fellowship of occupation. They had it all. When Paul wrote to them, he was bragging on their greatness, not in a prideful way, but we all need encouragement. Don't even those who who are doing things are going well in their lives. Let, let's encourage them to maintain that, right? Let's encourage them to maintain that. And as a result of that, they grew stronger. They honored God. They fulfilled their obligations. And he wrote this letter of love and commendation to them because he had all those feelings. And that were good folks. It reminds me of the congregation here at White Oak. We're a great congregation. And White Oak's a great congregation for all the same reasons. That Philippi is a great congregation. But when we consider fellowship, let's think of partnership because that's really what it is. And I know that we are thankful for the fellowship that we share. We've talked about how to become a member of the Lord's church, and that's the first step in fellowship. We talked about the faith and repentance, the confession, the immersion in water, coming and, and, and living a faithful life following that. That's just initial entrance into Christ. Remember, we're engaged to Him, but we have to enter into Him first. If you haven't done that, we, we implore you to do that today. If you've become unfaithful, and that happens from time to time, we want you to come back. We want you to, to enter back into that relationship. Remember, that engagement doesn't end unless there is a divorce. God hasn't divorced any of us. Now, He might have to eventually put us away, but not while time, not while time is still turning. We always have an opportunity to come back to Him and to get back into the light with Him and walk faithfully. If you need to answer this Lord's invitation... Do that as we stand and as we sing.